Marketing, the casino for businesses trying to break through to the frontier of success. These are the voyages of entrepreneurs, dreamers, and really naive millennials on a mission to get ridiculously wealthy. To seek out new traffic to their stores, offices, and websites. This is Unbottleneck, the marketing podcast taking you to the farthest reaches of online and offline marketing. With the elite experts, professors, and that crazy guy with the weird haircut who has two gazillion Snapchat subscribers and wields his social media influence like a sword from Castle Grayskull dipped in CBD oil and lit with a blue flame ready to break through the tough bottlenecks of marketing. Welcome to Unbottleneck. Now here's your host, the nerd of nerds, Steve Wiedemann. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we help solve common marketing problems. And we have a huge treat for you today. Our guest is Marshall Nyman. Uh, Marshall works to help enterprise brands with multi-location search marketing. He's a former senior digital marketing manager from Dine Brands, where he led the charge on revamping local search strategies for both Applebee's and IHOP. You know them, right? He's currently an account director at Rio SEO, and he's the founder of Nimo & Co. with a goal of helping emerging brands grow. Marshall, thanks for being on the, the podcast today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Always nice of to course. be with you. Our, uh, our topic today is scaling content for multi-location businesses. So if you've got two or more locations and you're struggling to try to scale and, and manage how you're doing search marketing in Google Maps and um, organic search results and universal results with video and news and discover. Um, today, we're going to hit all of those things, talk a little bit about um, maps and then kind of jump into organic. Um, so without wasting any time, what do you say we jump in and have the first question, which is, can you um, can you talk about some of the unique challenges involved in marketing efforts for national brands that have, well, potentially hundreds of franchise locations? You know, what do you consider the most essential for streamlining those efforts, uh, streamlining those efforts? Yeah. I mean, some of those businesses even have thousands of locations. So when you're thinking about it, these Starbucks, are Starbucks, Taco Bells. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Starbucks probably has 10,000 locations or something like, right. that, or like a McDonald's. So when you think about it, there's just massive amounts of locations and a lot of data and information to maintain. Um, and then there's just a lot of different organizations within that organization. So you know, you may look at one of these big brands, but really these big brands have multiple franchise groups underneath them that are then managing 50 or 100 locations. So it's actually like there's a set of business owners within their business. And so just it's a very disjointed process where you have the marketing team here, you have franchises. And so just to get everything done, it involves a lot of communication with a lot of different uh, pieces of the business. So it, it's definitely a challenge at all times. Um, but it, it, you know, with a challenge, it always makes it more interesting. And um, we're always just trying to figure out ways that we can connect all these pieces to make um, the whole local system easier. Yeah, that's we we could define that by using the the term API right? in a lot of cases. So not to, hey, we have to update uh, two thousand locations for this restaurant. So since we're not using an API, we're gonna have to go in and and submit them one at a time through a form on the website. You ready? Go. You know, and like a month later, it's like it's just not it's not practical. Small businesses can use a you know a, a, a platform to 
submit all their business information at, at once to some basic places uh, and then they can grind and make sure that their business is being listed in local directories and um, industry directories they can do some local promotion by working with other small businesses they can knock on their neighbor's door and say hey do you want to kind of cross promote for an event and you know maybe you can uh, link to the event from the the blog on your website there's a lot of that that really localized marketing that the individual restaurants and 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 location businesses, single location businesses, can do that a lot of uh, you know the larger organizations can scale. Those that that same person you know would be handed thousands of of locations to manage um, and can't knock on you know thousands of doors. It's just not practical. So um, so I think the small business has a little bit of an advantage over the you know the franchises simply because they just have one location to worry about. Um, when it comes to submitting business information, when it comes to managing and getting business reviews, you can be right on top of it. But when suddenly you get, you know, 300 reviews um, that are three star or less, um, and you're in the middle of doing something else, you've got to go through those 300 reviews and figure out, I got to respond to all these. I've got to, I've got to improve our process to make sure that these things don't happen after reporting to customer service um, across all those. It's like impossible. So, um, so I, I see what, what you mean when you say, hey, there's, there's that scalability challenge, and uh, I feel like I feel like thanks to to platforms, you know, like like Rio, that you know that those large organizations can can see and manage and um, and and organize the intake of reviews that are coming in in one place. They can see, manage, and and um, keep business data updated um, automatically without having to go to fifty different websites. Uh, to update their information, uh, I can see it as being a way to create dynamic content, um, you know, for every location instead of having to build a manual page one at a time for every single location. I see there's a lot of um, advantages there. When we're talking about maps, though, Marshall, we we, um, we had mentioned the the scalability side of of trying to get your business information in the right places. Um, our next questions, you know, data accuracy and, and validation still a big part. In fact, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, D- Dave Rodecker, he he said at one point that um, data was like the nucleus nucleus of the of the local SEO cell. Like your data is probably the most important attribute to ranking in maps, other than proximity, of course, right? You can't control where you're located. You know, it's always going to show the closest location, but it's your business data and the accuracy of that information: name, address, phone number. Um, needs to be consistent across databases online everywhere. Is there um, is there a huge leap in strategy used to manage name, address, phone number consistency uh, for brands with you know um, one or a few locations versus how you manage them for multiple locations? I don't think there's been a huge leap. I think at the end of the day, it just really comes to making sure the data is accurate. So whether you're looking at it on a scale of one location or mm-hmm. several thousand locations, it's just matching up the data and making sure you have a tool that can tell you what you currently have um, across the web is consistent. And then if it isn't, it's something that you can correct. Um, I, I do agree NAP is important. I think it was maybe more of a nucleus of, of local SEO at one point. I think now it's um, not as important as it was at one point. It's still a key piece. Um, so I wouldn't say maybe it's as much as the nucleus anymore, um, but it, it's definitely a, an integral part. And obviously having your accurate data everywhere is, is super important. Um, just from a customer standpoint, forget about Google. Like you want your customers to be able to get to you and have that right information. And then you also want your third parties that are sharing information about your brand to have the correct information. So 
it just it can be frustrating for consumers to go into a location because the Yelp information didn't update with the new address or, or hours or something. Well, so, you know, you yeah. kind of touched on reviews a little bit, and I know we'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but it's just an easy way to talk about, you know, how not to get negative reviews is to make sure that your information is accurate. Everything that you're telling about your business is true. If someone went to your business right now to get lunch and they were closed, they'd be pretty frustrated. They'd probably make a negative review. So like that's a way to also mitigate negative reviews is making sure your, your information is accurate so the customer isn't confused or has any issues when they um, decide to visit you. Right. There, there are a lot of large databases out there that um, that web directories purchase from or validate their information or cross-reference information off of. Uh, and I know they've, they've evolved and changed over the years. Uh, I remember historically it was it was Factual, Infogroup, Axiom, um, and uh, and Locallys, and that's that's changed over the last you know couple of years. Uh, during the the pandemic, there was this big shift where Foursquare became you know part of that mix. Um, you know, they always had a little bit of a piece of it, but it seemed like they got you know jumped right into the top four, and a couple went away. What are what are the current you know major databases or aggregators as, as they're called that um, you know these large brands need to make sure that their information is uh, kept up to date in? Yeah, you, you make a good point. There was definitely a lot of uh, shakeup over the last couple years in the aggregator space. Axiom they sunset their product, so as of last year, they went away. So. There's one less player in the space. Um, and then uh, Locally's Infogroup, um, Infogroup changed their name to Data Axle. So that was interesting to see that there. Um, so probably a, a play that they're making long term. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Factual and Foursquare um, are now part of the same company. So I would say there's, there's definitely interesting things there. Um, I think part of it is, as I mentioned, nap consistency isn't as important as it maybe once was. So I think there's a little less dependency on the aggregators as there was at one point. Um, to me, when I look at local search and where I'm trying to work with the directories, I kind of think about it as like a, a triangle at the top. You have Google, you know, they're, they're number one. I don't think anybody's really on the same level as them. Then you have like Bing, um, Apple Maps, um, some other directories like that. Um, you know, and then you start to see more of like the social and then some of the like TripAdvisor, Nextdoor, Yelp, um, et cetera. And then right under that, that's kind of where I see the, the data aggregators. And that's really just an opportunity to get your data in as many places as possible. So uh, maybe there's a third party app that's brand new that could be showing um, information about your location and they're going to get it from one of those da uh, data aggregators. So it, it's nice to be able to provide that information to them. So if there is somewhere... Um, that your business could potentially come up that isn't one of these you know key players that we're talking about. Um, sure. It is beneficial. Um, so I definitely think you know working with those aggregators um, is more of like a long tail strategy, but definitely um, important to have as your uh, search strategy. Right, and then there's those that you're going to manage and kind of control on your own too, like the the, the Yelp relationships. I know those are those are really interesting. If you have an existing Yelp relationship. You may or may not be able to manage some of the um, some of the things that you need to do within Yelp uh, at the platform level. Um, there's Apple Maps. There's Google, of course, the Google My Business. Um, there is um, uh, Bing Local, and I, I guess Yahoo kind of died, but there's still a Yahoo Local service. I, I didn't have that one on the list of questions, but I'm really curious what happened with Yahoo and how important is it anymore? They're really, really small. Uh piece of the share. 
And when you're looking at it, like Google is like just such a large part of everything that I always say that Google strategy is where you want to start. And then you want to start going after these other uh, directories. As far as Yahoo goes, um, some of these aggregators push to Yahoo. I don't think it's important, um, maybe as it was a few years ago, to have a, a big presence there. And it really goes where are your customers. So if your customers are on Yahoo, then you definitely want to have um, a strategy around that. And so sometimes, you know, thinking about the device that your customers are using and they're on certain types of browsers or looking on certain types of um, apps, I, I, that's where the consideration would come in for me. So if you're saying, hey, we have a lot of users there, then it makes sense to really make sure you're submitting the data directly than maybe instead of through one of the aggregators. Makes sense. Uh, a big part of, of scaling local SEO is content. As we talked about earlier, a small business can go to their website, find their service page or their menu page, spend an afternoon, write up some great content and move on. Right? Um, not as easy for multi-location brands when it comes to their actual location pages. Um, you know, taking content written by a team of writers, for example, and publishing that on your website, um, it feels like it's straightforward, but how does this work for a lot of your enterprise clients? What's the process of, of scaling content uh, when you have tens of thousands of locations? Yeah, it, it's definitely not easy to write unique content for thousands of locations. Writing unique content, it takes time. It's not something that you can just add overnight. It's not a low-hanging fruit. It's just not sleep, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and to write good hyper-local content. Um, this website's content is powered by Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and to write good content for a location, ideally yeah. you're near that location or know that locale. Like if you're writing, if you live on the East Coast and you're writing about locations on the West Coast, you're not going to really, you know, deliver the right information on it. So it, it's not like you can just hire someone and say, hey, I need you to write it up for all our locations. You really need the right person in the right areas. I personally always think the best person to write hyper-local content is someone within the location because they know that they're across from XYZ in whichever shopping center, off of whatever highway. You know, they, they drive there every day. They can tell you all of those landmark details that somebody that's not as familiar might miss. So I, I think, you know, doing hyper-local content at scale, it really takes a, a big group of people to get it done just to be effective. Um, and the other thing is, is you need someone that understands SEO as well to write the content in a certain way. So sure. it's one thing just to, to write it out, but it's another thing to make sure that it's going to, um, you know, deliver what you're looking as far as strategy goes. Sure. Uh, yeah. So scale, scaling is, is one challenge, right? Is how do I, how do I take that and out, out the gate? What I think, you know, you and I have done in, in the past and that's worked recently reasonably well is using dynamic insertion for uh, information in, in sort of standard paragraphs. So majority of the page is very similar. Um, you know, here's what we offer and, and you know, about our company and uh, basic information, the address, phone number, et cetera. And then we put in within paragraphs, uh, you know, we'll put in in Anaheim, right? And we use that city as a, a dynamic area where we can make each paragraph be a little bit different. And while that's not ideal, and John Mueller and other Google folks have have talked about that not being ideal. It is. It is still something that works. It's effective. It's not. It's not the best solution, but out the gate, it's a good plan A. The plan B is is what you know. You start talking about with hyperlocal content, which really segued into our next question about you know rolling out hyperlocal content. Um, I know we we here at Wiedemann did this really interesting study uh, to look at where uh, what the top 
actual local ranking factors are when we look at uh, local landing pages. And so we we took it was like over 200 different brands and we looked at their local pages to see what the differences were from pages that ranked well and pages that didn't. Uh, everything from driving directions, does the page have a video or the unique photos of the of the location? Um, is there um, you know is is there a I mentioned link to directions, hours, uh, open now, is there an open now status? Um, is there a coupon or offer? Is there a 360 video of the location? Is there a Google map or just a general map or you know a, an image of a map? Um, in, and so we, and then of course the hyper local content. We looked at all of those different unique attributes to see you know what are what are the things that you know that we could do better to rank pages. And in our study, we found that that it was 107% uh, more likely for your page to rank if you had that hyper-local content you just mentioned. So even if you do have 10,000 locations, if you could figure out a way, even with consideration of that moderation layer of, of who has to read all of that feedback that's coming in from the locations, it seems like hyper-local content is the number one factor to help rank your pages a little bit better so that Google doesn't filter them out. So, hey, I found I found two pages that are very, very similar. 90% of the content is similar. 5% is at name, address, phone number differences. Um, so um, I'm going to filter one of them out. Now that page doesn't rank for a non-branded search term that you want to appear for, say, breakfasts and a breakfast restaurant in Anaheim or something. So um, thinking about that hyper-local content, what are some things that that you've noticed that work to be able to scale. Uh, you'd mentioned, you know, getting the the individual location to submit information. Um, and if, if they do that, I'm sure there's someone on the corporate side that has to moderate. What are some other things that you've seen you know, your clients do? So to, to just to piggyback what you're saying, um, hyper-local content is not low-hanging fruit. It, it takes time and effort. And that's why you're seeing the benefit from it. Because if it was low-hanging fruit, every brand would do it. And it wouldn't really provide as much value. It since it takes time, it's not low hanging fruit. It's going to be something limited brands do, and it's going to provide more value. So I, I think for hyper local content, um, you know, I, I take a couple different approaches. Really, the first approach is just to get anything up. You know, that phase one that you're talking about. Let's start with some local modifiers. We'll pull in the highway. We'll pull in the landmark. Really, just to get the it, um, unique. And that's really like kind of the first approach is getting the content different across all your pages. If you have a thousand locations, you don't want a thousand pages with the same information. Right. So that's why we say phase one, get those modifiers in there. And then after that, I really think about hyper local content in two ways. It's what's happening in your physical location and what's happening outside of your physical location. So outside of your physical location would be mentioning what are the landmarks, the shopping center, major highways, um, maybe you're across the street from a hospital, um, maybe there's a stadium and it's a great place to get a happy hour. Yeah, sports sports teams. teams. Uh -huh. Exactly, calling out those teams. So that, yeah. that's really the first approach with Hyperlocal is what makes your business, or what, what what's around your business physically. And then the second thing is what makes your business unique inside. So some um, businesses, like everything's exactly the same. And then some it's unique what's in, they offer maybe TVs or they have family night or they do event room Sunday. Exactly. Yeah. Um, party room, playroom, whatever it is, they want to be able to highlight what makes their location different from all the other locations within that brand. Um, right. you know, maybe me and you want to go get a beer in a little bit. We want to watch the basketball game tonight. We want to go to a place that has TVs and a happy hour special. It's nice to be able to see that specific um, localized information for that uh, specific 
restaurant. So I think, you know, being able to get as granular as possible and working in phases is the best way. Um, I always tell brands, just start on the most recent opening that you have. So if a new location is opening today, try to get hyper-local content from there and then start adding it for any new locations. And then if you could go back in time slowly, you know, start to work on those. But it might be five years, but it's still worth it. Yeah. Some of the brands that I've worked with that have been successful with this did not complete it in a couple months. Okay. You know, it, it, it's, it's like a year project. Um, it, it depends on your location count. If there's 50 locations, maybe you could do it in a few months, but if you're talking about a few hundred or a thousand, it, it's going to take a little bit of time if you're doing it effectively, at least. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, one of my favorite examples was uh, some work we did with public storage and public storage. I think we started with Oregon. So if you look at the the city page for um, Oregon that lists all the locations that they have available, um, I think it's Portland, sorry, Portland, Oregon, uh, you can actually see some hyper-local content that is helpful for people that are interested in storage. Well, if you're storing something, you probably might be interested in relocating. So there's relocating information and some links to the Portland you know, uh, city sites and relocation pages. Maybe you're interested in um, the schools or the area in general. So there's, there's some really helpful content for, for folks that are looking for, um, you know, things that, that are related to moving and, and that works. I mean, we, we rolled that out across, I think like 40 different locations and every single location saw movement, positive movement up in the search engine ranking. So it's incredible. Just uh, what one, um, you know, one, one type of, of effort for on page could do to move up search traffic and organic in general. I interacted um, with something very similar recently. I, I moved about a year ago, um, bought some boxes from Home Depot, and then was, it was on their website. And they have content just about how to pack a box, how to tape a box. You know, so it's just like it's basic information, but it's good for people to get. And the more of that that you can display for a customer, you know, the benefit. And I, I know everybody keeps saying content is king. So, you know, you might as well have as much content on your site as possible. Yep. And attract as many links to your site as you can too. Um, so to those business owners considering opening a second location, uh, what do you wish that they would consider from an online digital marketing perspective? What what mistakes do you see happen the most for somebody, again, who's opening up that second location? I think for any business that opens, presence is going to be huge. So you want to, one, make sure you gain presence in your market and you want to make yeah. sure that you get off to the right start. Um, so getting your listing setting, set up ahead of time before the business launches is, is something that I always recommend. I notice a lot of businesses wait till opening soon. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. just status opening soon. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, I think just having additional attributes as well. Um, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're asking about uh, those that are thinking about opening up a second location. What are some mistakes that they make as they start to scale from one location to two? Yeah, so just I think getting off on the right start is most important. So that first review you get is pretty much going to dictate your review score. With math, it, it always averages out where pretty much whatever your first few reviews are going to be. It's usually around there. So I always say like getting off on the right start is super important. Getting some five-star reviews, um, maybe doing like a pre-opening, letting some friends in, um, you know, having them leave positive reviews. I think that's always a good start, um, sure. you know, and, and making sure your business is propped up in the right way. 
I, I definitely see a lot of businesses, their first review is sometimes negative. And I think they weren't really ready to open or um, there was some sort of confusion. And so it's not getting started on the right. Yeah, it's like, there in the search results too. Those, those older reviews stay there and people won't click the listing because they'll see a snippet of that review and not want to go in. Yeah, I get a question a lot of times, can we remove this review? Unless it doesn't violate Google's terms or mm -hmm. terms, they're not going to remove it. So I always, you know, want to get that right view on uh, right review on the first time, not sure. have to update it. Yeah. And, and well, I think one other thing too for for businesses is uh, hey, I'm, I'm creating a second location, so now I've got to I've got to change my approach from being you know put all my my business information uh, in the footer of the website to now having a locations main page. And then breaking it up so that you have you know two separate local pages one for you know uh, when you go to all the different business listings you can have the uh, the link the website link go straight to that location so they don't have to find it when they go to the website so now you've got a location specific page the other thing i might do is is get get one of those those big wall um paper things that you you can get from a, a hobby store that you can you can draw on and write on and create a big table and in that table i would put Four rows. I would put, um, you know, uh, data accuracy. I would put um, local landing page optimization. I would put um, uh, business listings, and then I would put reviews. And then I would I would create a column for every month. And then I would keep myself and my team accountable to improving and working on and nurturing each of those areas every month. Am I improving how fast, um, you know, my page loads and how 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 quickly somebody can make a purchase and on on the website and how much, how helpful my, my pages are. Am I improving how often I'm getting my business listed in other local directories or with, you know, neighboring businesses? And um, am I improving the quality and velocity of reviews that are coming in every month? And if they're nurturing those things, that's the water and sunlight that grows your digital marketing. So I think for those businesses that are thinking about scaling, um, having that that table up on a, a wall where you see it every month and you hold yourself accountable to it, um, you know, can can make that process a little bit easier. And then next year, you can just throw the whole thing away because you'll already have, have built in that discipline and you'll be obsessing over them every month anyway and watching your rankings. Where do I rank for the type of, of service that I offer at, at this location? Um, we just talked about reviews a little bit earlier. And um, this is a really challenging area, especially for some types of businesses. Uh, what's some advice that you can give to businesses that are struggling with reviews and um, maybe a, a short strategy to generate new and positive reviews? Don't be afraid. I, I, I see so many people are afraid to jump into reviews. Yeah. Um, it, it's just one of those things you just got to get started. Uh, people are always hung up on how many reviews they have in the past and how do I start there? I, I always say just get started today, respond to the reviews from yesterday, start there, and then move forward. Um, if you can go back in time a little bit, great. Um, but just start responding. That, that's really going to be the, the best thing that you can do right away. Just respond. Any any kind of response, or should it uh, should should the business say uh, what they feel, or should they make it a little bit more generic? So I would say, you know, it, it really I can see how, how business owners can make it really angry. Like, did you really just say that we suck? I mean, what's going on? Yeah, you have to always remember that the first thing someone sees is your business listing before they come into your location. If you right. have an attitude with someone that left a review, people aren't going to want to come into your location. So. Mm -hmm. Your tone, it has to be in a certain way. I, I always say you're always wrong, whatever they say. Just, okay, we're sorry. We're going to fix it. You know, like if, if you show that you're trying to resolve the problem or you did work to resolve the problem, that's what most people see. 
if someone sees that somebody had a negative experience and then you basically came in there as a business owner and downplayed that, it's not going to make someone else want to come into your um, location. But if you show empathy and say, hey, I'm really sorry that happened. That's not normal in our business. We want to make it right, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think that goes a long way. People see those reviews and they, they notice that um, coming in from the business. Yeah, they notice the feedback. I, I'm, I'm always disappointed when I look through the feedback and it's the same generic sentence every time. It's, hey, we're sorry to hear you had a poor experience. We want to make it right. Please call our customer service at 1-800. You know, hey, we're sorry you had a negative experience. And you just, you, you read through them. You're like, really? Is it, you just copying and pasting every single time? Or are you going to, you know, at least show that you understand the problem Right. I understand that you had a problem with with this particular area. Um, I want to address that specifically with you and, and the manager of that location. Um, please, please call me directly. My name is right. Um, that that personal touch where you feel like when you, then you call them, you're like, like hey, you, you talked to me on the thread. Yeah, I remember. I, I, and it, it, it sort of builds a little bit of a relationship so that you're not talking to a brand and the brand is responding. You're talking to a person. And that person wants to help you, and I've, I, I get, I get kind of, um, what's the word, turned off by uh, by seeing that generic phrase where they don't really show or acknowledge what the problem was. They just say, "Sorry, you had a problem. You know, we want to make it right. Call us." So definitely try to, I would say, try to personalize it. And I, I feel different as a consumer when I see that. Yeah, to generate more reviews though, on Yelp, you can have people take a photo in the location or check in. If they do either of those actions, it will ask them to leave a review. So that could be an easy way to solicit um, without asking for the review, but asking them, hey, leave a photo, get X percent off or a free soda, or the, you know, they could do a check-in offer and it would be the same thing. They would get an email about leaving a review. Google, um, you can ask people to leave a review. They don't have any policy against that currently. So um, you, know, you can put up a sign, you know, please, please review us on Google and share yep. your experience. Uh, but I think the most important thing is just whatever the reviews are, paying attention to them and then really taking the negative ones very seriously and working to fix those things. If there's a trend in negative reviews, people will see that and, and that's going to be hard for your business to. Um, and, and nobody clicks on it as a, a search behavior signal. When somebody sees lower stars, they're not going to click the listing. And eventually Google will infer that that wasn't a very helpful listing and someone else is going to outrank you. So yeah, I, I think from an organic standpoint, reviews definitely have an impact. I don't know that Google is going to say you have one star, so I'm not going to show you. Um, instead, they notice that people aren't clicking the listing and they'll choose listings that people are more apt to click on. So um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely an impact there. All right, our, our final question before we go into our lightning round, um, and this is this is probably the, the, the longest one. Any favorite local SEO strategies and tools you recommend? I know how you're going to answer the second part of that. Uh, for listeners that will put them on a clear path to rank in the Google Map Pack. Yeah, the easy answer is do the hard stuff. So, okay. you know, a lot of the stuff we talked in the beginning. Hyperlocal you know, content. Like NAP and, and stuff like that. that. That's easy, you know, making sure your attributes are updated and all of that. Building hyperlocal content, um, having... Um, specialty pages built around um, certain offerings that you have. That's the stuff that takes more time. And so I know a lot of brands, oh, you know, we don't know how it's going to perform or it's going to take a lot of time and effort. And I think that's a bad reason to not do something. A lot of this stuff is difficult to do. And that's why their competitors aren't doing it. So it could be a way to jump ahead of your competition 
because it is a little bit more difficult and, and time consuming. Like all the hyper local stuff that we talked about, it, it's going to take, you know, a bit of time to implement. And it's not like you could implement it on all locations at the same time. It just, you know, it's a one off approach. So, you know, I think that sometimes holds brands back from it. But personally, I don't think that's a really good reason to, to hold back. I, I think, you know, if you go after the harder stuff, you'll see a lot more dividends than your competitors. Interesting. Yeah, it's um, there's a there's somebody in the industry that that always has me intrigued and they uh, they have a wall full of iPhones and they've created some kind of crazy virtual network thing that I thought was absolutely silly. But their theory was if they could if they could create a way to perform a search um, and show from a, a GPS standpoint that the the search resulted in actually going to the location, non-branded search, going to a location, and then a review being left on a profile that has other reviews, not just some new profile, um, that, that Google, and uh, they're, they're looking at that from a, a mobile standpoint, somebody performed a non-branded search, they went to the location, and they left a review, and uh, and the review contained the search terms that they had originally searched for. I was looking for burgers. This place had great burgers, five stars. And that 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 pattern plays a role in organic ranking in the in the map pack. And and so these these black hat SEOs are creating these massive networks of phones that do all of that and emulate um, you know actually going to locations. And I thought it was really kind of interesting that they spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Do you do you see anything in the in the data that shows that Google's looking at a non-branded query, somebody going to the location from Google Maps, using the Google Maps directions, uh, and then after going there, leaving a review, because, you know, they do come up and say, hey, how was your experience after the fact? Do you think do you think that activity uh, plays a role in map rankings at all? Or is that just someone's theory and there's some weird, um, you know, correlation, non-causation action going on there? I mean, Look, if if they're getting more reviews and it's it's helping their review strategy, then it probably helps augment. I haven't heard anything like that specifically, but I know yeah. there's a lot of questions around um, content ranking within Google Posts and within yeah. reviews. I've seen both types of content um, rank, but I don't know if having a strategy to get reviews that call out that specific content in uh, volume would help the business. Um, one thing I know Google does look at, and for locations that have a lot of reviews, it's not an issue, but think about it maybe like if you're a lawyer um, or a service-based business versus a restaurant, you might only have a few reviews. So if Google sees a location that has 100 reviews, but they're only like, you know, every, all their competitors only have a few reviews and it happened in a short period of time, it could flag something. So that, that would be my concern there on, on doing that. Patterns of behavior, huge yeah. spike and then dead. Right. Hey, I just I just paid for 600 reviews, you know, and and then next month, nothing happens. Like, I think the obvious. thing is, mm. I, I don't get gaming reviews because to me, a review is like gold. You have someone come in your business. They use your, your service or they ate your food and now they're giving you their your their your opinion. Uh, you their opinion. Sorry. <laughs> and um, that that's gold. Like that's how you improve your business. So trying to like game the system isn't going to help you in the long run because if people are coming into your location and they're unhappy and you're not fixing those things, it doesn't matter how you game the system. Yeah. If you have happy customers, they're going to leave five-star reviews. If people have an amazing experience, they're going to leave a five-star review. So it comes down to that experience. If you're delivering it, you're going to get those reviews. I don't think it's like necessary to game the system. 
And the, the businesses that have a ton of reviews and that they're super positive, they're not gaming it. Like they have a viral customer base and they leave five stars. And someone's going to find you out. They're going to look at some of your reviews where they don't have pictures or they're using a picture of someone that doesn't exist. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they're going to flag you. They're going to say, hey, this, this is a fake review. And then if you have enough of those, um, that could harm your business, which is also the catalyst to a lot of negative local SEO that I've seen. I've seen competitors buy fake reviews for um, uh, to try to harm the, you know, the competition. So, and, and they're not negative reviews. They're, you know, just generic, boring, nothing reviews, three, four, five stars, whatever, um, in hopes that they'll get flagged. So then, then they'll, they'll wait and then they'll flag the company themselves. And that, that poor company just got, um, you know, harmed uh, because, you know, Google's penalizing them for, for fake reviews. So it's, it's a really, it's a really difficult conundrum for competitive businesses. And I wouldn't want to be a locksmith, right? but um, I'd say for restaurant chains, they're probably pretty safe. But um, anyway, so that's a tangent, but watch out for it. If you see some weird reviews come in that you know aren't yours, flag them yourself, I would say. Um, and uh, and then use, uh, this is a Twitter channel, right? For for the, the GMB folks. So if you, if you see something weird, or you have a question, can't you just reach out to them? You can flag any review, any user can. It doesn't have to be just the brand. If you see a review that you think is not in um, the, the terms of Google, you can definitely request them to have it removed. I've seen plenty of things that I would say should have been removed and I've requested and it's been no problem. Yeah. I can't tell you how often I see people leave a review on the wrong business. So that, that that's pretty funny. Um, so we definitely that's want to- Conflict of interests. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, Ben, ben Fisher has talked about that in the past and he'll, as a, a product specialist, he'll actually have it removed. So yeah, don't waste your time having your marketing company or your team leaving yourself a review because that's going to get you flagged. Yeah. Yep. And you can and you can request to remove them. And Google's pretty good about it. Yelp is not as good about removing reviews. So, yeah. you know, just something to think about. Oh, cool. This has been fun. I've I've got a few lightning round questions for you. You up for it? Sure. Hit me. All right. This one's got an obvious one in it. But what are your favorite three SEO tools, Marshall? SEO tools? Well, uh -huh. obviously, like uh, using uh, Rio SEO. <laughs> uh, see. Yeah. Plug. Uh, plug. <laughs> Outside of that, I mean, we—I don't really use too many SEO tools. I really dive a lot into the analytics side of things. So, so GA is pretty much um, something I spend a lot of time in, and then Google My Business data, um, looking at that—that that, that's really important. And I think that's pretty much the most directional data that we have now. Um, I wish more platforms like an Apple Maps shared uh, data, and, and it was easier to understand like the correlation with um, what's yeah. going on on that side. But Google's great about giving data, and they've made some updates recently um, to share some more. So uh, I, I definitely feel like that's really what drives a lot of the um, strategies. Yeah. So so few people look at their Google My Business Insights like, hey, I put my business on there, I submitted it, I'm done. It's like just look at it. You know, it's nice that they send you emails once in a while too to remind you. But you know, just once a week, once a month, log in, look at it. And that's it's a great suggestion. Um, who should we be following in the SEO industry? Oh man, there's so many good people to, to follow. I mean, obviously you, Steve, you know, you, you oh, been thanks. Um, for quite some time and you have a lot of great stuff to say. So you, you. you've definitely been one, one of those people. Um, there's a lot of great people in the local space too. Um, yeah, I, 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 like I call somebody out, I feel like I'm going to miss everybody else, but it, there's so many good people in the local space that I think it, it's definitely worth, um, you know, diving in there. There's a lot of GMB product experts. I think those are great people to follow. 
Um, you can look them up on the Google uh, or GMB page and it'll tell you who they are. So those are all great people to follow and all great resources too. If you ever have a question that you're not really sure, um, Twitter, any of them, and they will, they will respond uh, w- with the answer. They have that backdoor to Google. So I, I really say anybody that's a product expert, a GMB product expert, definitely uh, you know follow them. So everyone, everyone's going to create a Twitter list today of GMB <laughs> experts, and they're going to hit up that Twitter list when they have questions about their map rankings. I love it. Um, do you have any favorite groups that you're in in Facebook or LinkedIn? Is there a, a multi-location SEO Facebook group or LinkedIn group or anything like that? I'm not. Um, I just got on Clubhouse. I know that's... Um, Rub it in, you iPhone user. I'm an Android. I know, that, I know that's been the next uh, big thing, it seems like. So... Uh, I, I don't go on Facebook actually, but I do have LinkedIn. Um, I feel like the local space on there could probably use a little bit of a boost. Um, I'm in some other groups from some other, from some of the other marketing channels I am. And I think maybe it's an opportunity for local to, to maybe grow out, uh, their presence on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I think clubhouse seems like that's going to be another place where people start congregating and having conversations like this. And maybe, maybe, maybe yeah, they already are. I'm seeing it and I'm jealous. I may end up having to get an iPhone if they don't update soon. Cause that's, that seems to be really hot right now. And I want to make sure I'm in those conversations. Yeah, definitely. A lot of good what's conversations up? happening on there. I, I it's, what's an, it's very organic. It's nice. Yeah. What's, what's an SEO myth that you still see that drives you crazy? SEO myth. I just, I always laugh when people talk about keywords. <laughs> I, I don't okay. know if that's necessarily a myth, but I think just like, it's like the myth of the keyword. People like think keywords are like these like golden things and they just get so caught up in them sometimes. And I just think it's funny. Oh, those, those people who don't know the difference between a search term and a keyword, you mean? <laughs> well, they, yeah, they, exactly. They just get caught up with the, the, the specific words and the terms. And it's like, it, it's more about building out a content strategy and right. having a long-term vision and, and, and having things for your customers to find. Sure. Versus just getting like caught up in the keyword and where's the keyword going to go and like that that that's such an outdated strategy. It's really like you yeah. want to have a page that has value for your customer and yeah. that's the most important thing. If it has value, people will find it and the keywords will be there because it has the value. So I think you know I always just I don't know if it's a myth, but I just kind of think it's funny like people the way they just get so caught up in. Uh, dear client, we helped you to grow your organic search present uh, by fifty percent, increasing revenue by two point five million. Yeah, that's it's really great, Steve. But uh, but we're still not number one for this keyword that we're trying to rank for. <laughs> You're just like, I did you? I grew your business, and doesn't that matter? So yeah, clients that get obsessed over keywords are definitely not uh, right for for an SEO campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next one. Let's do uh, fastest way to rank a new page in the maps. Fastest way to rank in a new location. Yeah. I think it just kind of goes back to what we were talking about is obviously you want to get all the basic stuff down there. Everybody's doing that. So then you really just want to do all the stuff that's more difficult, the hyper local content, uh, maybe a specialty page. If there's um, specific services or uh, offerings that you have that you need to describe in depth. So that, that that's usually kind of the, what I would recommend. All those, those best practices and like we were talking about just nurture them over time. I know one really quick way that you could do it is you could take uh, the address, put it in quotes and go through every single page that lists that, that address to make sure that it has the correct name and phone number. Uh, that's one really quick way to update information online is just look for other sites that mention that specific address and make sure that the, 
the information now correlates to your name, services, and phone number, right? Good suggestion. <laughs> I always like um, quotes in Google. It always gives you a good, uh, good put your name in with quotes, and then it really shows you everything about you. Yep. <laughs> That's true. I think you answered this one already. Most important landing page, SEO focal point. I think we both agree hyperlocal content is probably it, right? Yeah, I think I think pretty much, you know, I, I, as, as, you, as I said, you got to have the basic stuff. But after that, it, it seems like that's really the differentiator. And your best link building technique. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I think, you know, links have changed where, you know, you wanted to have as many inbound links as possible. You know, I think, you know, for, for a local standpoint, we're thinking about how we can um, just link out to other parts of the site. So if we're talking about a restaurant, are there menu items that we can link out to? Um, is there a promotion that's going on that we're sharing on the location pages that we can send to the main page? So, so your best link building technique is funneling internal links to a page that you want to rank. That is awesome. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, we, we don't really do as much external link building with, with the local side of things. I think that's obviously an opportunity, but we, we're really focused more on the, the internal side of it. Right. Um, all right. I think we're almost at the end. I got two more questions. Number one is um, EAT, Expertise, Authority, Trust. Is it more important to have EAT signals on the website for uh, for users like the, the whole quality guideline says, or is it really more of an off-page signal? and whether Google can find expertise, authority, and trust around the brand. It's probably a little on page. Is it on the website or off the website? Um, where it's more important? Yes. Um, I think probably on the website, but. Okay. Fair enough. Last one, does offline marketing help keyword rankings? Offline meaning TV, radio, news. It doesn't help the rankings but it can help people search for those terms. And so if those terms become more relevant, then maybe over time those pages will become more relevant. So it could help the rank, but it won't. And you know, it's not going to just improve rank by, by running media. But if there's, if, if the media is helping certain things around those um, things that they're focused on, then it could lead to rankings uh, improvement. But I don't think so that if it results in search, then it wins. I actually saw a billboard the other day. You've probably seen this one too for, um, I think it was like Hyper Wolf or whatever. I'm like, what the heck is Hyper Wolf? And first thing I did was Google it. And I'm like, oh, you guys are genius, right? <laughs> it's like it didn't have any kind of like who they are, what they do. It was just Hyper Wolf or whatever. Yep. And it's some distillery delivery thing, whatever. But but I thought it was just brilliant because they know that that their audience are searching. They're online and they're searching. So if they get people to search for them, um, then it, it shows that there's an interest in their brand. Um, and eventually, you know, of course, builds more brand awareness. Yep. Marshall, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, I know there's so many more topics we could dive into, like the local landing page study. I'm sure we can spend some time playing with that down the road. Um, what are some ways that people can find you if, if they're interested in learning a little bit more about you or just connecting with you? LinkedIn is, is the best way. I think uh, been on there for almost 10 years now. So it, it's a good way to um, reach out to me. I'm not as big on the social platforms, so uh -huh. uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter, not not as much. But yeah, if you're looking for me, you can find me on LinkedIn and m maybe on Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, and and for everyone that's listening, uh, we'll uh, definitely see you on the next episode. Thanks for uh, for hanging out with us and talking about multi-location search. And Marshall, we will see you on the next episode. Really appreciate your time, and it's always good to speak with you, Steve. Thanks, man. We'll see you.